This is Make Yourself at Home, a podcast from BizNow where we talk real estate, business and the pandemic. I'm Miriam Hall. I'm BizNow's New York reporter. Today, we're hearing from Catherine Wilde, the president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City, a not-for-profit that pushes for pro-business policies and represents hundreds of business leaders, including some of the biggest names in real estate. The partnership recently released a report looking at the economic impacts of the pandemic. One of the things it found was that about a quarter of office employers are looking to reduce their space. Catherine, who was planning on retirement but has put it off because of the virus, has been at the partnership since the early 80s and joined pretty soon after it was set up by David Rockefeller. I started by asking her if there was anything she experienced during that time that she's applying to this current moment. I think there's a lot, yes, because I came to the city just at the moment that it was kind of the end of the industrial era, the end of our being a great port city. And that was in the 60s. This was about a decade after on the waterfront um, period and when New York's ports were thriving, our manufacturing industrial waterfront. So I came at that time and within five years, We really had lost that whole industrial base. It left the city. In the uh, 1970s, we lost a million people who exited the city and our economy was a disaster. And what happened uh, was that the city went into fiscal crisis. It was a uh, complete fiscal disaster. The city had no money to do anything. Uh, Property values were worthless. And we really had a very tough time coming back. It took 30 or 40 years to get the city back. So yes, it does remind me very much of that time. 30 or 40 years. That's not a timeline yes. that, would, that would be filling anyone with confidence. No, it's, um, it's a tough time to be confident. So, and we are seeing now we have, in New York City, we have 20% unemployment which is the same as the Great Depression in 1920s. Uh, So we're seeing a tremendous, and this happened very quickly. So as of January of this year, we had more jobs and more population and more gross domestic output than we'd ever had in history. So we were flying high, we were prosperous, our tax rolls were strong, and then Six months later, we had a complete turnabout where we're high unemployment, uh, low consumer purchases, and we have seen uh, the economy plummet probably 7% in gross product this year, 14% next year. Uh, this is, and this is a long-term issue. The health crisis is immediate the economic crisis is going to roll out over a period of time, probably years. So the partnerships just released a report with the help of, I think, about 14 global consulting firms. And the general theme from the report, from what I got, is that the status quo can't be recreated. New York has to do things differently. What do you think real estate's role um, is in that? Well, we actually had a panel on that a couple of weeks ago with some of the leading real estate 
people to talk about how things have to change. And for one, they say it's kind of the end of the open office, the bench office, where everybody's breathing on each other. So that's one way it has to change. Another is uh, the, the system, just like after 9-11, the terrorist attacks, our whole system of security changed so that every person had to be individual identified to be let into a building. That same thing is happening now, only it's not only your identity, but your health condition is going to change. And that's so if you're going to enter a building or a theater or a museum, they're going to have to have a validation that your health is okay, and take your, whether they take your temperature and uh, have you fill out a health quiz. That's all going to fall on the real estate community. And then overall, the real estate market has gone down. Leasing in the city is down 70% uh, new leases. So we're going to see a period of time where small businesses are not able to pay their rent, where... Uh, Owners, building owners, are going to be really pinched in terms of uh, how they accommodate new tenants. These are all going to be, it's going to be a tough time for the real estate industry. You know, the figures are quite, quite extraordinary. I mean, you've mentioned some of them, the city and state revenue losses, more than 37 billion. The economy of the city could contract like 13%, more than a million people out of work. But what's particularly interesting to me, if you zero in on the office market, there are some really incredible statistics there. About one in four office employers want to reduce their footprint by at least a fifth. And about 16% of them are talking about moving jobs out of the city. Do you think New York can cope with that? Well, we have to cope with it, so we will. I think that it's um, the short-term issues are very serious about the rate at which people come back. I think the recurrence of the virus, while we're doing well at containing the disease here in New York State, the fact that it is uh, having flare-ups in other states is affecting our situation because people can't travel, they can't fly. I was talking to a major airline today. They're going to be doing more furloughs. They had hoped by now to be coming back, but we've now got quarantines on people who travel. They're having cancellations again. So the airlines had started to see a new passenger flow that's reversed itself since the outbreaks in Florida and Texas and other places around the country. So we've got a number of issues where this is going to be slow going. I do think, however, New York is an amazing place. We have recovered from other disasters, and I think we will come together and recover from this one. But it's going to be slow. We're going to have new protocols, new requirements, and we're all going to have to work very hard to make sure that we get this right. The, uh, for example, the education situation where we've had to go to online education is that's a big issue in New York and a big a big challenge. We've got the largest school system in the country. Uh, more than a million students, 1,400 schools. This is tough. And now people are saying uh, we really don't want the schools to open unless they have great ventilation. And a lot of our schools are very old. They don't have great ventilation. So we've got all sorts of issues like that. And people can't go back to work if they've got to be homeschooling their kids. This is going to be a huge hit, surely, for landlords. And many of those people are your members. Are they accepting of this, do you think? Are they understanding of the fact that it's going to be slow going, as you say? Well, I think the landlords have to be optimistic 
And so they're, they're going to be pushing uh, and uh, working very hard to make things come back. But I think they're in a very difficult situation. And if you talk with them privately as opposed to publicly, they understand that they are in deep trouble, that they need to uh, basically work hard for those. I mean, you've got a number that are very highly leveraged. And for them, this is very tight. You've got others that are long-time permanent family ownership of, uh, of properties, and they're probably okay. Their immediate values will be affected, but long-term, they'll be okay. It's just, I guess, the fear of, of going back to the office. I mean, it feels very weird. I mean, you said you went into the office the other day and it, and it was lonely. There, there are a lot of people are not coming back. We have a million two office workers in Manhattan alone. And they come from Long Island. They come from New Jersey. Uh, we've got the longest commute in the city, uh, 62 minutes. So people are reticent to be... On, to take that commute. And so that's a big dis, uh, disadvantage we have, the, our dependence on public transportation. If everybody tries to drive to work in their private car, it will just shut down the whole region. So that's not going to work. So we don't have a lot of choices. So many of the office workers will be working from home for months to come. number of, of employers have started to say it'll be 2021 before they came back. Come back, you probably saw Google announce that they're not going to require their people to come back until July of 2021, a year from now. So that's going to obviously have a ripple effect through our whole economy, starting with the transportation system that's not getting their tolls and their, that's not getting their revenues from the um, transit fares. But it's also going to affect all the small businesses, the vendors, in the street vendors, who I saw an article the other day that said they're only selling 10 hot dogs a day now. That's not going to support a family. So we've got a whole ripple effect throughout the economy. The partnerships made a lot of uh, recommendations. Obviously, healthcare is a priority, but where do you think beyond that the focus needs to be now as we look past the crisis into the kind of reestablishment of the city? Well, there's two issues. One is the jobs and uh, bringing back small business and small business jobs. So that's a big priority. And then uh, the second one is the skills to take the new jobs. So we have, um, in January, we had 300,000 vacant job postings looking for people. So in New York City, 300,000. And uh, we had an unemployment rate of 4%. Today, we have an unemployment rate of 20%, and we still have 200,000 vacant jobs posting because people don't have the credentials, primarily technology credentials for specialized roles. But they're often not credentials that require a four-year baccalaureate degree. They're jobs that can be satisfied with a three-month tech training. That's where we have to be focused. 
We have to figure out where those jobs are and how to get people trained and upskilled so that we can get them into those jobs and begin to provide some relief. We have a million people on unemployment today. We have to get them back to work. We're going to see civil unrest. We've already seen some. We're going to see more. We're going to see increases in the crime rate. We have to get people back to work. So that and getting the small businesses going again so they can employ people at the entry level um, is, are the two big issues. And then, of course, there's the whole question of where did the million two kids go to school and opening public education. Uh, because parents can't work if they're having to homeschool their children. There's some of the things that are talked about in, in, in the report that, that came out, and it's obviously something that's been a big issue for New York City generally, which is affordable housing. There's a couple of recommendations that, that are made. There's talk about NYCHA um, and driving private investment there, and there's talk about repurposing distressed real estate. But the backdrop of all of this is that the capital budget for affordable housing is being cut. Where do you think the answer lies? I know that you've said that the private sector has to step up. up. How do you think that that should happen? Well, on the affordable housing front, um, what we look at is how can we reduce the costs uh, of, of construction to start with and, and repurpose existing properties. So we're going to have hotel foreclosures and closings. We're going to have other distressed properties. After 9-11, there was a lot of conversion of buildings in Lower Manhattan around the World Trade Center site. Uh, people fled Lower Manhattan, and within a couple of years, buildings had been converted to residential. People were coming back. It became the fastest-growing residential community in the city, one of the fastest-growing in the country. And uh, we saw today... A third of the people that uh, work in Lower Manhattan walk to work because they live right there. So that population is now thriving. We've got to see the conversion of buildings. We've got to take advantage of where there is distressed property, how to turn that into affordable housing. We've got to find ways to continue some of the demonstrations that we've uh, that have been started with congregate housing, shared housing. There, uh, there's a firm called Common that has uh, membership in congregate housing, which is obviously lower cost because you're sharing facilities, uh, private bedrooms, but other other shared activities. Uh, we've had micro units that were developed in a demonstration basis under the Bloomberg administration that was, uh, were not repeated, were not focused on, but cost a lot less to build. And then we've got ideas like uh, we have many people wandering around large single-family homes, particularly older people, senior citizens, where they ought to have an opportunity to subdivide their homes. We've had very restrictive zoning and regulatory requirements that have meant that you know a one-family home, even though it could house several families, has stayed for a one-family home. We can do something about that. And so hopefully in this crisis, we will have the will to take on some of the political challenges to make a difference. Basement apartments is another, uh, is another area where there are potentials for hundreds of thousands of basement apartments in the city in single-family homes if we allow it under the zoning and building codes. Do you have faith that it's going to happen? I mean, this, is, this isn't a new conversation. Yes, it's taken on a more kind of uh, urgent tenor. I think, as again, the economic crisis is just getting started. 
So people have been focused on the health crisis. The economic crisis has been somewhat insulated by the federal actions to make unemployment insurance and super unemployment insurance available, give people an extra boost. The, uh, the loans that they've provided to small business have kept people employed for three or four months. That's ending. And suddenly we're going to go from barely making it to not making it. And that's the opportunity, I think, to recognize the changes we have to make. We've been resistant to change when we didn't have to do it. I think now we're going to have to do it. You think that resistance will be eroded a little bit by pure necessity? Is that what you mean? I think more than a little bit. I think the resistance, uh, the 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 clinging to the status quo, which wasn't so great for a lot of people, but we clung to the status quo out of fear of change. I think now people are going to recognize that we have to change, uh, and that goes for everybody. That's, not a, that's, a, that's across the board. That's for business leaders as well as for low-wage workers. We need a change, and we're going to have to figure out together how to make that change. And I'm confident New York has always been a pragmatic place. Uh, we've become a little ideological in the last few years, but our history is that in a crisis, we've come together. Uh, the, uh, New York was founded by the Dutch, and there's a book called Island at the Center of the World by Russell Shortow that describes how the merchants the Dutch merchants from the Netherlands, created a culture in New York that was all about, let's make a deal. Let's make this work. Uh, and I think that that's the basic culture of New Yorkers. People come here from all over the world who have those instincts, who are entrepreneurs, who are ambitious people, who want to make things happen. So I think that culture is going to ultimately save us. There is that culture, but then I read statistics like the one I read in your report that about 30% of people don't consider it a safe region to be in right now or a desirable region to be in. And you know, I mean, you were here through the whole thing. You know how unpleasant it was. That, you're referring to a survey we had that Hydric and Struggles did, uh, who are headhunters, who did a survey of people who had job offers in New York and what were they thinking about? Would they come? So these were not New Yorkers. These were people that were thinking about coming to New York. Now, it's true. In the last five years, New York, this, if you talk to the tech sector employers, in the last five years, they say New York is preferred to San Francisco. Ten years ago, we couldn't get software engineers here. Today, they're all, they all want to be here. The young people want to be here. So... We're not there right now. We've lost traction. Our brand has been tarnished and people are nervous about New York. But I think that that's going to bounce back because it was New York was the epicenter. We had 25% of the deaths in the world in March. Um, we, were, we had a horrible health crisis, but now we're looking pretty good. We've contained the virus whereas some of our competitor states who were bragging about come live here in Florida, come live here in Texas, uh, they're now feeling the, feeling the pinch. 
of the disease. And so I think people will be a little less concerned about New York because we do have the greatest hospitals in the world, the concentration of healthcare providers. We train the country's doctors. We've got a lot going for us. What do you think though, I mean, when you talk about the resistance, there's been a lot of anti-development sentiment and you're saying that, you know, everyone needs to step together. The private sector needs to step up, policies need to change. Everyone needs to come together to kind of make the deal as the, as the culture is in New York. How do you think that developers and real estate players and, and how are you advising your members to, to navigate through this, considering there was that brewing distrust of real estate? It's gonna take time. It's gonna take time for people to see the impact of the crisis and to figure out how to respond. It's going to take time to change the political atmosphere. I mean, we've had, actually today, there was a um, city councilman who came out against an important rezoning, saying that he would not support it, and it's one that'll create thousands of jobs. It's one that the community should be supporting they still don't get it. They still don't understand that their future depends on supporting growth and development because we're gonna to have to replace a lot of what we've lost. So this is gonna be, it's gonna take time for people to recognize that we can in fact work together. We have to rebuild our community infrastructure. You know, today the opposition to development is basically organized advocacy efforts, they're not people who actually do anything. They protest um, uh, development, they object to gentrification and development, but they don't have an alternative for how we're going to build the, comp the, the economy. They basically say, we'll leave it up to the government. Well, the government does not have the resources to leave it up to the government these days. We're gonna to have to figure out how to take care of these issues ourselves. And in the 70s and 80s, we built a community development infrastructure where community organizations were actually working on developing and renovating and managing housing, for example, and rehabilitating their commercial strips and working in partnership with banks to accomplish that and with private developers. That's what we have to do again. We have to rebuild that infrastructure so the communities trust the folks who are coming in and are at the table in terms of helping to figure out what is going to bring us back, what kind of growth can we support. And that's a big difference from simply going out and opposing. That's making it happen. And I think we can do that. We've done it before. Catherine, thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. Mary, it was uh, delightful to get to know you and to talk about our city. So thank you. <laughs>